I was a minister in a Presbyterian church, and we did everything orderly and decently, and everything ran on time. And I'm repenting of that. I've learned a lot from Antley, and I can just wait right now. I'm nervous. I'm scared. And I can admit that. I feel exposed. And I need Jesus. I need him. I need Jesus right now. Lord, as we've sung and worshipped you, now we wait on you. We want to hear your voice. Come close to us. Come speak to us. We are your sheep. We are the people of your pasture. And we invite you We know you're here. Open your word to us and let us see you clearly. Amen. Amen. If you're praying, keep praying. I'm going to be speaking from Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. And we're in a series here at River City. If you're here for the first time, we're in a series on listening to the voice of God. How to listen to the voice of God. And a few weeks ago, we we heard Mark Verkler. He spoke to us on how to listen to the voice of God. And listen to the voice of God in what I would call in a subjective way. The way the Lord speaks to us in our heart and we get impressions from him. He speaks a, a contemporaneous word that, that is a word that is today. But that's not the only way in which he speaks. And, and you know, we practice that here at that River City. And we got to experience that. But one of the primary ways in which God speaks, you know, because our moods vary. I don't always hear right. Don't always see right. I had a professor at school when I went back to seminary the second time to do a master's degree in counseling. He used to say, Jonathan, look, you cut people's heads off and you stretch people out. Because they, they would always watch us you know, through a glass window and see how we were doing in the counseling. And he goes, you always try and make them fit what you're thinking. Ouch. And I learned to repent of that. I don't always see a right. And that's where we'll get to in this, in our passage today. We don't see. We don't always understand. And that being so, there's a need that we have to hear God's voice in a way in which it's not about me. It's about him. A way in which he has spoken to us for all ages, for all times, in all places, for all cultures. And he has done that in his word. God has given us his word over a period of 
1,600 years using different authors from Moses who compiled the first five books until probably one of the last books to be written was the Gospel of John by John the Apostle himself. Over a 1,600 year period, God has been weaving a story and telling a story about his action in the world, his action with a, especially with a, a, a people called Israel. And this word is what we call the standard. We call it the canon. No one can move it. No one can change it. In fact, there's even a warning at the, at the end of the Bible that says, If any man adds or takes away from this word, his name shall be taken and out of the book of life. An incredible warning. How do we hear the voice of God in Scripture? What I want to do this morning is ask a couple of questions of this scripture. And the first two questions, the questions I'm going to ask is, what does this scripture, in spite of how I feel, in spite of where I am, in spite of what's going on in the world, what does this scripture say about me? What does this scripture say about us? I don't know about you, but I usually like people to say nice things about me. Um, I get... To myself, people who, you know, I've got itchy ears. I want them to say nice things. And what I find in Scripture is it's not always complimentary. (laughs) You often know that you're in a real relationship with someone is when they can contradict you. When you find in relationship either with a husband or a wife or with a friend. I've just had my brother here for the last month. Uh, We got into it sometimes. But through getting into it, there was a deeper intimacy. And I think that's what happens with the scripture. We come up against something that we can't move, we can't budge, we can't get around. It's just there and it doesn't move. We're going to ask the scripture some questions and then allow in God's presence. Remember what Mark said, I wrote those things down. Mark said, quiet yourself in the Lord's presence. Can we do that? Can we quiet ourselves right now and let God's word speak to us? We're going to ask it questions but it will ask us questions back. And then Mark said, free, fix your eyes on Jesus. We've picked a perfect passage in which to be able to fix our eyes on Jesus. And then he said, let's listen to God's voice. He said in spontaneous thoughts, but here we're going to hear God's voice in what he has written, what he expressly wants you to hear. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, 
It is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks. He broke it and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. And then the two told what what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord. In my tradition, used to say, thanks be to God. Yes. Can't get it out of me. It's still there. What we want to do here is ask a couple of questions. The first question is, what is there in this text? What does this text tell us about ourselves or about you? You can do this at home. You can practice this. Uh, Antley asked me to do something very, very practical. So if you take a pen and paper, if you have that with you, you can do that. Or you can just do this at home. And maybe we'll in the week we'll get something up on the website and you can follow what I've been doing here this morning. But when you come to a text and you want to hear the voice of God from a text, you can ask it questions. There's all kinds of questions that you can ask. But the main ones I want to ask this morning is that what does this text say about me? What does it say about me? And what does it say about me that actually requires salvation? That requires something from God because there's something about me that I need. And let's look. Shall we take a look? You follow with me. Let's look at verse 16. I couldn't help but hope uh, to see yesterday that they were kept from recognizing him. Here are two disciples. They're on the road to Emmaus. There's been all of this... um, what would you call it? There's just been chaos in Jerusalem over the last few days. Jesus, the hope, promised Messiah, has been crucified. He's been put in the tomb. They've heard that he's been uh, risen from the dead, but they're not really sure about it. There's all kinds of chaos going on. And Jesus comes along. But where they were, because of their mood, Who knows why they were kept from hearing. But I believe the text here is very, very strong. It says they were kept from recognizing him. And that tells me something. Hmm. Maybe I can't see. 
I need something. This text already is speaking to me that Jesus could be really, really close to me and I might not even be able to see him. You can be in church sometimes and someone else is getting blessed, but you're not getting blessed that day. We heard that in one of the testimonies. What God has one day for someone, he might not have for you. He blesses them, but doesn't come close to you that day. Who knows why he does it? The fact is, what I also see from this text, something about Christ, is that he is in control. He is in charge. Anthony told us a couple of weeks ago that he gives gifts. He gives grace as he wills. He is absolutely free to do as he pleases. And he opens eyes and he closes eyes as he wills. Do you see that? Or I'm the only one who sees that in the text. Do you see that? It's okay. You can speak back to me. You know, let's pretend like we're a black church, not all white. <laughs> okay? All right. You can, you can speak back. You can respond. I cannot help but see, too, something else about me, that I cannot understand the Scriptures without Christ and without his power. If we read on a little bit further, Jesus not only reveals himself to these two disciples, but he reveals himself to the disciples in the upper room. And he says, it says in verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. If I'm going to hear the voice of the Lord, this scripture is telling me the first thing I need to be thinking about is the fact that I could actually be blind. I can be ignorant because he also says in verse 25, how foolish you are. There's something that he expects of me that he, he, he says, you ought to know. And he also tells me that I'm slow of heart. Don't you ever feel that way? You come to the end of the week or the end of the day. Sometimes when I'm counseling, I come to the end of the day. And I feel tired, weary, like maybe like these disciples, they're in despair, they're downcast, and I'm slow of heart. And I begin to get into, maybe into self-pity. And I begin to think, where are you, Lord? And he could be right there, but I'd never know. And almost immediately yesterday, as I was looking at this and going through it, I began to say, Lord, wow, just, just how blind could I be? I might not never ever, ever know it. Do you know it? Would you be able to confess it? So that's, I think, the first thing that we see here. The next thing, let's ask the text another question. What is there in this text that actually is the remedy for my blindness? You see, it's not enough just to say this text tells me about me, and all of a sudden I say I'm blind, and all of a sudden you're going, man, every time we hear him preach, he's always on a downer. You know what I, I, you know, I, I say that saying, cheer up, you're worse than you think. But cheer up. God's grace is greater than you ever dared hope. And it's right here in the text. You need to be able to hear not only what the text says about you, but God means you good by this text. God would be terrible if he didn't say that you were blind. Because you'd never know. Huh? You'd never know. And so he tells you. And so now you're instructed. Now you've got something to work with. Huh. But what else does it say? 
We've already said that. We see Jesus here. He has power and control, and he is a sovereign Lord. It introduces us to one who comes alongside them, who loves and who cares for them. In fact, it would appear that he has kept them from seeing him because Jesus is a great counselor. He's a great teacher. He wants to expose what is in their heart. What, are they, what is it that they're thinking about? And it would appear that they've, they know him to be They know Jesus to be a great worker of miracles. They know him to be a prophet. They know that the Messiah would be... um come in his glory and that he would rescue his people. But they can't understand why he had to suffer. And that's where Jesus meets them. Don't you understand, he says, I had to suffer. Why? And beginning, he says, with Moses and all the prophets which is shorthand for all of the Old Testament. This is absolutely amazing. If Jesus were here today, which he is, what would he do? He would take us to the Old Testament. Do you need encouragement this morning? Are you despairing? Are you sad? Are you blind? Are you ignorant? Can you not see him? Do you not feel him? What would Jesus do? Well, let me take you on a trip. Don't you understand the scriptures? All of them. They're all about me. And he would want to give you confidence. Why? He says, because I'm leaving here. I'm going away. Do you see the physical body of Jesus right here? No. He says, but there is something that will witness to me, and that is my Holy Spirit who I will send to you when he comes on the day of Pentecost. But there is another witness to me, and that is God's holy word, the Old Testament. The first gospel is not Matthew, it's Isaiah. The first communication of good news about the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe Jesus took them to the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah 53, Did anybody, does anybody know that? I wonder what he said. Have you ever wondered what he said? Have you ever wondered that the way to understand the Bible is to understand that everything that is in the Bible is about Jesus? It's primarily about him and then secondarily about you. There was a professor of Old Testament at Westminster Theological Seminary. Have you heard of it? It's in Philadelphia. And he learned Hebrew from a Jewish professor at a Jewish seminary. And this professor was talking one day to all the the students. And all of a sudden, they got into talking about the book of Romans in the New Testament. And this Jewish professor actually knew Paul's argument. And he knew it so well that all the other, the the Jewish seminarians there, they began to worry as to whether he believed it. And one of them asked him at the end, do you believe that? He goes, no. What made you think I would believe it? But he understood what God's word was saying, but he doesn't believe it. And that's strange. Because look at this in Isaiah 53. Wonder where Jesus would go to explain who he is and why he had to suffer. Who has believed our message? 
And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Would you be attracted to Jesus on the cross after he's been beaten? No majesty. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Isaiah's talking about me. And this was 800 years before Christ. Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We could go on. There are text after text, passage after passage in the Old Testament, in the first five books with Moses, and then with David in the Psalms, Psalm 2, Psalm 22, Psalm 16, all what we call the Messianic Psalms. They all talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe he just went on and on and on. And it says in the text that their hearts burned as he was speaking to them. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. It's about me. And he claims to be the interpretive key of all the Old Testament. He is the fulfillment of all that God has said. In fact, they're so taken with him. They said, don't go on, stay with us. Please stay with us. And he did stay with them. And somehow, during the time he stayed with them, he began to break the bread. And maybe they saw suddenly the nail prints in his hands. Suddenly they recognized him. And their eyes were opened. They could see him. But how was it that they could see him? It's because they heard the voice of God in God's word. They were brought near to God, but brought near to God through Jesus. As they recognized Jesus in his word, as they began to recognize why it is that he had to die, why he had to suffer. As you go through the Old Testament, what is the story of the Old Testament? It's the story of God's holiness. We've sung about God's holiness this morning, how God is inapproachable. In fact, in Deuteronomy, the people of Israel said, let's not come near the mountain. Let's not near, come near Mount Sinai. And God said, the, uh, the people speak well. I will send one, a servant, and he will be able to draw near to Mount Sinai. That is Jesus. How foolish, he says to them. And as you think about what this text says about us and then what it says about the Lord Jesus, then I can begin to, begin to take that and think about it and then pray about it. Maybe you would want to then go into adoration. What does this text say? What is the teaching of this text that would make me want to adore him? Well, if I'm slow of heart, if I'm blind, I can begin to praise God. What? I say, Lord, I praise you that 
you brought me to a place and I can actually read this text and actually begin to understand. I thank you, Lord, for opening my eyes. Thank you, Lord, that I have the scriptures in English. I adore you. I praise you, God, that you have a plan and can be trusted. I can see in this text that if everything that was predicted about you in the Old Testament actually came true, that what you're actually saying to me is that I am to believe in a God who is in absolute control of history. Because he would have to be, wouldn't he? This isn't like Lost, you know, the series. God predicted that Jesus had to suffer and die and then rise again. He would have to be in control of history. Therefore, I can praise him that he can be in control of my history. Maybe the text would lead you into confession. And you could maybe confess something like this. I see you, Lord, now for who you are, the Lord of history. But I am often melancholy. I'm often despairing like these disciples. I often become angry because life is hard and I don't trust you and I don't think you've done enough and I don't think that you care. But I see you here coming close to these disciples. Maybe you can just be close to me and it's just that I don't see you. Lord, come close. I confess that I'm slow of heart. Maybe you can begin to confess, what do you do when you despair? Do you go to Jesus or do you go to something else? Do you begin to save yourself? I was thinking about that yesterday and I think, what do I do when I'm feeling sad? What do I do when I'm feeling anxious? I will often go to the internet. Do you do that? Do you shop? Do you go shopping? Do you eat too much? Do you overeat or do you undereat? Do you go to eBay? I'll often go to eBay. I'm feeling sad. And I'll go, what, what can make my heart happy again? Nothing like looking at a picture of a Harley Davidson. <laughs> my favorite bike right now is the Harley Davidson Street Light. But I begin to see, why is my heart rejoicing in that when Jesus is offered to me? And yesterday, as I was planning this, and Martha was in the office next door, I began just to sit there at my table and began to weep and begin to see. And I began to go, wow, this actually works. Lord, the Lord was coming close to me. He was beginning to break down the hardness of my heart. And instead of having a slow heart, my heart began to kindle and have warmth as it became closer and closer. And I was then able to repent of my unbelief. Repent of my unbelief that he doesn't care. When he does care. And then before you know where you are from God's word, you've gone through adoration and you begin to confess your sin. The next thing you know, you're thanking him and you're praising him because new joy has come. Just like it did to the disciples. Didn't our hearts burn within us when he came close? When he opened the scriptures to us and instead of being despairing because they had repented, because they had seen him, they left where they were and immediately they went back into Jerusalem and they began to tell others of the good things that God had done. He's alive. He's alive. What Mary and Martha and all the others have seen him. It's true. If these things from God's word are true, 
you then might find yourself going a little bit further into what we call supplication. I found myself yesterday as I was reading this thinking, if I'm blind, then maybe other people are too. If I need God's grace to be able to see Jesus, then maybe other people do too. And before I knew where I was, because my brother, how many of you know my brother Daniel? He's been with us for a few weeks. I began to think of Daniel and the conversation we had back on the on going down to Orlando on Friday. He's gone back home. And we began to talk to one another about how hard-hearted we are towards our brothers and sisters. I come from a family of six. It's only my brother and I were following the Lord. The others don't. They're blind. They can't see. And before you know where you are, the Lord will move on your heart using the text, listening to his voice into supplication, beginning to pray for them. Lord, all of my life is a grace gift. I didn't make myself see. I'm not better than they are. The very fact that I see you, that I know you, it's because you've moved upon my heart. Oh, Lord, supplication goes, give it to them. Help them to see. Before I knew where I was, I was praying for my brothers and sisters with a new heart, with a new affection that really meant it. That's how we can hear the Lord and hear his voice in the Scripture. And I trust that this week you'll be able to draw near to him. You could use this scripture. You could go to any scripture. You can ask different questions. But the main questions are, what is there in this text that tells me about me that needs salvation? What is there in this text that the Lord uses to bring and give salvation to us? And that will soften our hearts so that we run away from saving ourselves and give ourselves up to him. That's how we can hear the voice of God in the Scripture. May God bless you this morning and keep you. May His face shine upon you and give you peace and joy. Amen.